Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh... longer record in the studio we record from our own homes and i have a whole family here so i have to be kind of quiet welcome to the house of pod i'm kave that wasn't very long i'm lizzie <laughs> were you expecting it to be longer no no i was wondering if you're gonna run out of breath like you know no 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 you know i took vocal uh last i took singing lessons i don't know if you know that you probably I do. couldn't tell from hearing our shows <laughs> but i did and they teach you breathing exercises so i could I can make that happen. So really what you learn from the voice lessons is talking more. You're like, I can talk as, I can fill in as more words than anyone per unit time that you've ever met in your whole life. You might challenge me on that one. I know. I know. Um, okay. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, I'm asking you to answer it honestly. Um, and, you know, after our last um, episode with Dr. Jesse Gold, mental health expert talking about sort of coping mechanisms for uh, COVID times. Um, one thing that we discussed was that, you know, we don't really have the language and the vocabulary, nor do we answer honestly, usually, mm-hmm. uh, when people ask us how we're doing. So I'm going to ask you now, mm-hmm. how are you? Don't say okay. Yeah, I'm okay. How are you? Um, yeah, I feel, 
generally okay for real i don't feel stressed i think i'm i'm not actually sleeping great i keep waking up at like four in the morning can't sleep for an hour so maybe that's a manifestation of stress that i'm not aware of but i feel um frustrated are you having dreams are you having weird uh, um, covid related dreams i am they're not they're not covid they're just other things um i don't necessarily dream about the thing that's stressful to me in my life but um what what i find is um frustration um because of everything that's going on and we've talked a little bit about it but like in new york like seeing all these people suffering and dying and a lot of my friends um i trained with in new york a lot of people are still there and and hearing their stories which is like every day i reach out to them it's so hard and i feel like really really helpless and i know that's how most people are feeling when you know even most people who are not in medicine are feeling that as well so that's what I feel like a little bit helpless, a little bit frustrated in that way that I can't offer help. But I know that reaching out and asking how their days are and letting them vent to me helps them, but it feels uh, not enough. Yeah. I mean, you are a native New Yorker. Your family is there. Um, I have met a lot of great people through you there. I think about them a lot. I talked to a couple of them already just to sort of get a sense of what things are like over there. And it can't be overstated. It is incredibly fucked up. I mean, they are literally digging mass graves in New York right now for the amount yeah. of bodies that they have to deal with. I mean, they're only sort of transitional internment apparently, but you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing what's happening. And um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about that either, except I also sort of vacillate back and forth between grief and anger and then sometimes a little frustration then a little <laughs> sometimes you know pride in california for what we're doing it and some hopefulness as well but definitely anger and frustration gets in there i feel so much for the people of new york and it can't be uh, overstated enough and and this is something that bothers me you know when whenever politicians talk about real America, real America. Mm -hmm. That's not what real America is. They always say New York isn't real America. Mm -hmm. It's like some mythical place in a flyover state. Nothing gets flyover states. I'm from a flyover state initially. So I, I get it. But like the fact that like that in the future, my fear is that people will never uh, appreciate or understand what New York went through. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to be lost in the mix that what New York is doing um, and how they're dealing with this. And, and if this was happening in another part of the, the, the country, I don't know. Would it be talked about more? Would it be talked about less? I don't know. But I mean, now it's happening all over the country. So, you know, I think unfortunately a lot of people, a lot of Americans are going to be feeling exactly what New Yorkers are going through, which is the saddest part of the whole thing. Um, but it's really been you know, the 7 p.m. things on social media where people are clapping and like screaming and it's happening here in San Francisco at 8 p.m. It's really heartwarming. I like actually like tear up sometimes. It's like so sweet. Are you hearing that? I'm not hearing that where I live. Yeah. Like all these rich techies, they're like, I'm not even here. They're like in their vacation home in Aspen or something. I don't know no. where these people are. No, open your windows at 8 p.m. Like set your alarm. The Salesforce building has this um, animation of hands clapping. And at 8 p.m. every night, people are banging pots and pans and screaming. I can hear it very vividly. It, it's really, I mean, the New York um, footage of the on social media is moving. And it's just kind of cool here because we're just not suffering in the same way. So it doesn't feel <laughs> the same, but. Um, not yet. 
Yeah. Hopefully never quite to that degree, but we'll find out in the next coming weeks. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have a, a really impressive guest coming up, Dr. Dean Winslow. Yeah, he is a uh, infectious disease doctor. Um, he's uh, at Stanford and he has been around positions of leadership, federal government and management, and he's doing work with the California Guard now. Before we get to that, though, a couple of things. Let's talk a little bit about something I'd like to call, and this might be a recurring theme or a recurring like bit, uh, COVID-etiquette, like etiquette, etiquette around COVID. That's Let me explain a, what I mean. <laughs> no, I get it's a beautiful term. I think you should trademark that, copyright that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so for example, we've been talking about this a bit. In fact, I even got a little bit of grief about this when I posted this on, on Twitter. Um, it really bothers me when joggers are coming near you and they give you, even if, even if they're giving you six feet, I don't feel that's enough because joggers are out there. They're breathing heavy, huffing, puffing. <laughs> Stuff has got to be coming out of their mouths and it's floating right around my face. I want to karate chop them in the neck. Every time they do that, if I, if I like, so I want to clothesline them when they, if they're close enough to me to clothesline, I feel like I should be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to do it because it's dirty and it's gross, but like that really gets me. And I know you're a jogger, but I also yes. know that you are a responsible jogger. I've seen you <laughs> jogging outside in my building. I've seen it. So I know that, wait, you, that you are. With my clothes on or off that time you saw me? Are you a streaker? Did you sure. streak? Of course. Of you? course. No, 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 no. For no. real? Okay. Uh, not that I remember, <laughs> liking, you know, um, I like the way that you imitate joggers though. It's like, sounds very like, you know, primordial. It's like, <gasps> you know, I like your version of jogging. Clearly you're not a jogger. No I judgment. Jogging. I, I see you jogging. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, if I should be the one to tell you this, but it's not pretty. You're right. Don't you start. I apologize. Anyway. I apologize. Um, yes, but, I think the etiquette of jogging and and just being on the street these days is a new thing. You've never thought about crossing the street or um, right. crossing people as as much as I have right now. I can't even believe it. It's really, you know, people cross away from me, and I'm like, oh my god, do I have a big snot ball coming out? Do I look like a criminal? <laughs> so what's going on? People are walking away from me, and really, it's the new normal. But I, yeah. I think the onus is upon the person who's the most agile in the moment to get out the way. So if I yeah. see you and your dog, you and your kids, and I'm jogging, I do think it is my job to go out of your way into the street yeah. and be safe about yes. it. Avoid yes. the cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if there's an old, old couple, avoid them. You know, Don't, don't yeah. make yeah. anybody with a cane start to sprint up or down a hill. That's not nice. So yeah. that's, that's the etiquette. That's the co-etiquette for the jogging situation. I, I think that's really well put. I, I would say for the joggers, I would like to see a little bit more than six feet. But I, everything you're saying, I, I think I totally agree. Let me posit you a question, though. Okay. Here's a scenario. Um, say an old couple in their 70s, maybe 80s, walking down the street. Um, and there's a young mother walking towards them with like a stroller and then like a toddler at her side. Now, the younger people the, may have more mobility, but it's pretty hard 
to to corral a kid sometimes and she has a stroller kind of hard to move that around where do you think who is the onus on there to move it depends on how agile the old couple is i would say fight to the death that's the story i'm gonna say first of all listen don't worry you're not gonna offend any older listeners there are no older listeners (laughs) listeners are listening to the podcast so uh but for me i think even though they're the younger people, the older people probably should move out of the way in that case, don't you think? I'm going yeah. to get some hate mail. This one, but I well, think I think in San Francisco, there's a presumption if there's a couple walking out in the hilly streets of San Francisco, they probably can move around a stroller and a child, which it's like herding cats, you know? One, one quick thing I'd say is um, I think people are getting a lot of flack for like, you know, the the police, the mask police, like people are yelling at each other. And I just want to say for all my fellow joggers, like I could never jog with a mask on. So again, for that reason alone, the onus is definitely upon me to really give you a wide berth because you can't, I can't exercise with a mask on. Like I think I would pass out, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, totally. It's really hard. All right. Um, One thing before we go to the guest, um, we got an email I want to read and it goes like this. Hey guys, love the podcast, but was a little disappointed in episode 62 the lack of any mention of a respiratory therapy. In my small regional hospital, we not only manage the ventilator, but we intubate, then care for the respiratory needs uh, all the way to discharge. We are front and center, but all we care about are the doctors and nurses. There is an entire team caring for these patients, but the RT, respiratory therapist, is seldom, if ever, mentioned. Our fear after all our hard work is done, and when changes are made to the system, we will not be a part of that change. Thanks for your podcast. Still love it. Susie Calloway, RRT. Before I say anything, please, mm-hmm. you, you, what are your thoughts? Right on. Amen. Totally. I mean, we, yeah. it's just easy uh, to say doctors and nurses. It's just lazy. That's the only excuse. I think RTs have a huge role. Um, it's a different role at every hospital. There's a culture for everyone, um, but absolutely, totally apologize for not being very clear in our gratitude towards RTs. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's an absolute mea culpa. Um, that's our bad. You know, we also don't mention heroes. Yeah, yeah, and we don't mention like phlebotomists. You know, the guys taking blood, going in every. Yeah. You know, we can't give a shout out to every single person each time, but like, the emails totally acceptable, totally right. But like phlebotomists every day going into patients' rooms, sometimes multiple times a day, you know, for our patients who are bleeding, yeah. we check your blood counts six or three to four times a day, every six to eight hours, you know, the pharmacists who are standing there behind the counter interacting with patients, obviously the grocers, the delivery guys. Our postal service is getting really hit hard. I heard something like 30% of them are down. Oh, really? Anyways, so, so, so Susie, uh, thank you so much for the email. We really do apologize for that. You're absolutely right. Our respiratory therapists are heroes. They're super frontline. They're there. They're the people that we rely on to help us manage these vents and these airway settings and to help us with these patients. So um, absolutely. And uh, stay tuned. We have a really, like I said, impressive guest, one that I have an honest amount of uh, a lot of uh, respect and admiration for because uh, I've worked with him briefly and I've seen him and I know how great a doctor he is. Dr. Dean Winslow, stay tuned. All 
On the show with us today, we have Dr. Dean Winslow. He is an infectious disease doctor. He is a professor at Stanford University. He's also a retired United States Air Force Air Force Colonel. Sorry, he's been deployed twice to Iraq and four times to Afghanistan. Is that correct? Actually, yeah, the other way around. I think the four times to Iraq and twice to Afghanistan okay, after nine eleven. So, and, not, not that it matters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's important. And currently, you are now working again with the National Guard in California. Is that correct? Well, actually, I'm working with the California State Guard. The California uh, uh, State uh, Militia actually dates back to before the American Civil War. So I'm not back on federal status, but you know, I was very honored that. Uh, uh, the, uh, the state military uh, uh, asked me to come back on at least active status in the state to at least be available as a resource, I assume, with COVID-19 and, and uh, just be a general resource for the, but the California Army and Air National Guard as well. Can you tell us what the roles are of these kind of activated, mobilized uh, kind of military personnel? Sure. From, you know, from what I've seen in terms of uh, mobilization, our Army and Air Guard uh, personnel, as well as the California uh, State Guard, uh, a number of, uh, a lot, lot of both enlisted troops as well as officers have been activated to uh, distribute uh, supplies from uh, warehouses to uh, uh, healthcare uh, agencies and associations, and also have been, from what I understand, involved uh, directly with uh, uh, testing and uh, um, again, uh, they're you know a wonderful strategic resource, and very proud to be part of it. I'm also just unsolicited un, uh, 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 praise for our local and state governments that I think California should really be proud of its uh, overall response to uh, to COVID-19. You know, we uh, are trying to cling to every victory that we can find in this time, and one thing that uh, I am very happy about is how we've responded so far uh, and how Gavin Newsom shut down the state um, earlier as somebody with, you know, not only an infectious disease background, but a, a background in administration and a greater understanding of the federal government. How will it work in the future? When can we as a state reopen if other states are not under better control? What can we do about that? Because I, I, I think even if we do the good job that we're doing, we continue to, Am I wrong in thinking that eventually if we open up, then the problem will just continue if other states don't have it under control? Yeah, that's potentially an issue, you know, again, because we are very much more mobile now than we were, you know, 100 years ago, certainly. And, and even 100 years ago, the uh, Spanish flu uh, spread very rapidly, not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world. So um, I agree with you. I think that is a potential concern. And certainly people like uh, my, my friend, uh, Tony Fauci, uh, has been uh, pretty vocal about uh, uh, saying that uh, we really need uh, to put on a nationwide basis, the types of controls that Governor Newsom has uh, put into place here in California. It's a very American uh, dilemma, right? State versus federal. It's like um, kind of resurging. I feel like it's kind of the founding of our constitution and here we are talking about it again. Um, do you think that's what turned the tide? I feel like in New York, you know, you saw pictures of the National Guard and um, cleaning churches and synagogues and schools and you know, is that something that you see kind of happening? And do we have the resources to do that throughout the country? Yeah, I, I really do believe that we do. You know, I think, again, it, it involves, you know, a mobilization of national will. And we've really seen that in California. And I'm cautiously optimistic 
that uh, you know the uh, increase, at least the rate of increase of new cases, is starting to flatten out in California. I think that's uh, it, to me anyway. It doesn't mean that it's time to relax the controls now. It just means that we need to continue them because again, this you know virus is uh, certainly shed for up to 14 days. Uh, you know after people uh, uh, recover from their illness. And of course, there's uh, the additional issue of, of, of uh, shedding a virus from either asymptomatic individuals or people with minimal symptoms. So I think that's one reason it's very, very important that we um, follow these guidelines nationally and, uh, and again, don't relax them too soon. Yeah. It, and along those lines, um, even in California, uh, we, there's still some areas that we don't have great control. And I, I read recently that about a third of cases seem to be tied to sort of religious gatherings like churches or mosques or synagogues, that sort of thing. In fact, I read today about a church in Sacramento near Mather Airport um, that there's been question about whether or not they really have sort of stopped congregating. Um, The church has said that it it no longer has uh, regular meetings. It's moved things online, but it's one of these big mega churches and there's been lots of reports from people within it that there are still meetings going on and there's been at least 71 people from the church that have been tested positive for coronavirus and it's been pretty serious there. If there is a situation like that, at what point does uh, the California Guard become involved um, or would that be a local uh, police issue? What would what could happen? Yeah. And what should happen? So again, you know that that you know we're very careful. I think in uh, you know to to separate the there's it has to be a very very unusual circumstance before um, the 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 uh, national guard is is uh, called upon by a governor to act as a police power. So I certainly do not see that being uh, uh, at all instituted really anywhere in the country. You know that's really not where. Uh, the U.S. military and uh, the uh, various uh, national guards and state guards throughout the country really can be of use. Uh, but I do agree it is of some concern um, that, uh, uh, that that there is not uh, nationwide or even regionally in California maybe as good a compliance with these measures as, uh, as uh, really should be done. So one of the most controversial things that have happened in the last few days, and obviously every single day there's something new and controversial, but um, is this recommendation or suggestion to wear a mask, even when you're outside. So you're an infectious disease specialist. What are you doing? Um, what would you recommend the average person do? I mean, Kavi and I could tell you what we do and you can let us know if it's right, but I'd like to know your recommendation. A, a reasonable recommendation. And again, the, uh, just to be clear that the, the, the rationale for uh, people who are asymptomatic, who are going outside to wear masks, is not to protect them. It's actually to protect other people in case they're either asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic and shedding virus. And it definitely uh, you know, will re- reduce the aerosolization uh, that occurs, you know, with normal vocalization or certainly coughing or sneezing. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's you know, it's an additional uh, helpful measure exactly, you know, how much of a role it will play on top of the social distancing and the shelter in place orders. Uh, you know, it's really unclear to me, but I, I think it's not unreasonable for people to do that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it just keeps, I know it just keeps my hands away from my face. That's like, to me, the greatest benefit, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, that, that's, that's probably a, a, a good point as well. There was a recent report of a choir group in Seattle 
uh, I think it was Seattle. Um, and they had got together for a practice and they were very specifically careful about not touching and they were very specifically careful about avoiding fomites and contact. But a number of them became sick, quite sick. Some of them died. And it raised a concern that maybe it is more aerosolized than we thought. What do you think about that? I, I could see a couple, I have a couple of thoughts about myself, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion about that. Does that change your perspective of COVID, how, how COVID is, is or the coronavirus is, is passed? Uh, not necessarily coffee. And again, I apologize, you were cut out for a little bit of your question, but I think you were talking about this uh, episode that happened with, uh, I think it was 64 or so choir members that got together in a high percentage, right. uh, you know, developed infection. Um, so, you know, first of all, just a personal statement that uh, my, uh, my wife, who's also a professor of medicine at Stanford, is an enthusiastic member of the Stanford Memorial Church Choir. Uh, but, uh, and, and I love personally, you know, going to, uh, to, to the church. But uh, I think now, you know, again, what it really just shows is just the vulnerability. And, you know, my suspicion is, you know, you had perhaps even just one or two people who were asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic and, uh, you know, were spreading the virus uh, within a, you know, a fairly uh, small confined space. I think it just shows, though, that the importance of the shelter-in-place orders, at least for now, and the uh, and the social distancing. So, um, so again, it. Uh, I think it's just it's illustrative of, of uh, you know, why we need to not relax uh, the, the control measures at this point. Yeah. And personally, for that case, I wasn't overly concerned about it just because I assume there is more forceful sort of like breathing, you're singing. It is probably a little more likely that there was some droplets that came out. I mean, I sing sometimes uh, with a band and I certainly am sending spittle all over the place. So, <laughs> you know, I. I, I think that's probably what, that's my feeling about what was going on in that particular case. It's a good, good theory. I was talking the other day about how much like a big guttural laugh is going to spread this, you know, my friend was like, I can't laugh anymore with like this big cackle because it's going to spread it everywhere. So uh, overall, how are we doing in California? Now, I think, uh, Kavi, that uh, really California is... Uh, uh, you know, is a model for what other states should have done. Uh, very, very impressed that the initially six counties and then eight and nine counties in the San Francisco Bay Area put the shelter in place orders on top of the pre-existing recommendations for social distancing. And I think that was very effective. And then I believe it was just two days later that uh, Governor Newsom uh, uh, instituted uh, shelter in place orders throughout all of the counties in, uh, in California. One of the things, though, that I would like to just uh, give as a shout out is the wonderful job that Sarah Cody and the Santa Clara County Department of Public Health have done um, uh, particularly. And again, uh, I think uh, uh, that uh, that organization is really uh, should be uh, singled out for uh, the excellent work that they've been doing. California has done, uh, I think, has been like a leader in this. So that's been awesome. I have um. You also spent time, um, obviously you're an infectious disease physician, but you have a focused or have had a special interest in HIV and AIDS, right? Yes, that's correct, Elizabeth, yes. The emails that I'm getting from my patients, because we take care of a lot of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis patients, are patients who are immunocompromised, like our patients on biologic therapy and obviously HIV, AIDS patients. Would you give them any recommendations outside of what you would recommend the general public? Do they have to take any special precautions? Yeah, I think it's just uh, important that patients who are immunocompromised recognize that they are 
higher risk, not necessarily for infection, but for potentially complications of infection because of their impaired cellular or humoral immunity. So I think it's even more important for folks like that, as well as for people, um, you know, who are over age 70, uh, even if they're otherwise healthy, or people with diabetes, I think uh, should all be uh, extra, uh, extra special careful. That's a, uh, not a too articulate way of saying it. That's great. Um, looking back at a little bit of how we got here in the first place, there has been some criticism of the federal government's response, some of which I think is very fair, some of which I think is probably overstated. Um, but back in 2018, there was this report uh, from the sector of the National Security Council uh, that looks at pandemics and the risks of them. And they reported that this was a, a risk. Um, and at that time, that department was disbanded. Um, I have two questions. I still don't understand why it was disbanded. I'm assuming it's sort of a money thing that I'm missing, that there was funds that needed to be redirected somewhere else. So one question is, why was it disbanded? And the second question is, how much of a difference do you think it would have made really if it was still there? Would anything here be different? Would we be dealing with something different now? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I want to make it clear that, you know, I'm speaking just for myself and not on behalf of the university or certainly the government. Again, I don't have any inside information on the issue that you're raising other than just, you know, the reports that I've read in the New York Times and the Washington Post that have reported on it. I think it actually is more of a general issue that people forget about public health. Um, in when things are quiet, when things are good. And again, it's not until that you end up, you have an outbreak, that all of a sudden people are clamoring for more resources for public health. And yet, sort of in the good years, uh, that uh, public health budgets are, are, are often um, one of the first things that, get, uh, that gets cut. So I think it's really a larger issue that we have short memories in the United States and that we really do need to invest uh, more in uh, public health uh, disease control as, as well as uh, uh, preparation for pandemics. Another issue which I haven't heard people talk about too much, which, and again, I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm directly criticizing the Trump administration, but the fact that our relationships with China um, have been on, I think, somewhat rocky over the last uh, couple of years um, has made it difficult for uh, the CDC to actually have people on the ground in China. You know, traditionally, uh, the CDC has always had an ongoing presence in China, uh, but because of the bad um, relationships between the two countries uh, that we did not have, uh, from what I understand, uh, people from the Centers for Disease Control, you know, in China, that I think could have both helped the Chinese respond to uh, the outbreak uh, at an earlier stage and more effectively, and also, I think, uh, uh, you know, helped uh, the U.S. prepare better uh, for this outbreak. Yeah, Again, well, that's a, really interesting. Yeah, yeah I did not know a that. caveat that I've known uh, Bob Redfield since uh, the late 1980s. Uh, you know, he was a, an Army officer at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research for a number of years and then was at University of Maryland. So, you know, I've got a lot of... Uh, of uh, confidence in, uh, in in Bob Redfield, as well as his deputy Ann Shukat, who was a, a a good friend and colleague of uh, of my wife uh, when they were CDCEIS officers together in the late '80s. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, you have you uh, I mean, you've been in this world. Back just to tell our listeners, in case they don't know, uh, back in 2017, uh, President Trump nominated you to be the next Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs. Um, your nomination at that time was 
put on indefinite hold, if I remember correctly, essentially, because it sounds like you had a difference of opinion when it came to uh, semi-automatic weapons. Um, and then eventually you just withdrew your, your nomination from that, uh, which I personally, you know, I think was a, a tremendous loss to our country. Um, and I can say that because you're no longer my attending and I get to say <laughs> these things because you're not giving me a grade. Um, but it, it's true. I think we really did. Um, hit, we did lose a lot from that. We take some comfort in the fact that there are people like Dr. Fauci, who you mentioned, who you know, um, who was a co-editor of Harrison's, which is like my favorite medicine book of all time. So I have a lot of respect Thanks for the too. guy just from that. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. Um, do, do you feel like we have the right people right now doing the, the work? Do we have the right people in place? I, I do. And again, I, as I said, I've got a lot of confidence in uh, the, the Centers for Disease Control. And certainly, uh, Dr. Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. I think it's been a, a very, um, uh, very good uh, uh, spokesperson for uh, what needs to be done uh, at a national level. And again, understand that's actually not normally part of his portfolio. He's a, a research scientist, but you know, he's also, like I say, I think a very wise man and a good doctor. Uh, so, uh, I'm glad that uh, it seems like the president and uh, his administration is listening to the advice that he's getting uh, from people like uh, like Tony, as as well as uh, uh, Bob and the, and the team at the CDC. Yeah, that's good. That is, it is reassuring to, to us too. Um, one more question for for from me. Uh, going forward from this, what lessons do you hope that we learn as a nation? going forward from this? If you had to pick three, uh, no more than three, and I'm sure there's, you know, many more than that, but if you could pick three lessons going forward that we could use uh, or, or gain from this, what would they be? Yeah. Well, I think number one is the point that I made a few minutes ago that uh, we really need to take this as a wake-up call that we need to invest more in both public health uh, and preparedness for uh, disease pandemics. Uh, number two, um, that I think we need to have and remember that uh, uh, science is not the enemy and that science and uh, evidence-based uh, solutions uh, to not only uh, this problem or these types of problems, but also global climate change are very, very important. And thirdly, that um, we're all Americans, that we're all in this together and that we need to uh, always keep in mind that, um, um, that, that uh, we are a great country and that um, we really all need to continue to work together as people and honor and respect each other. Um, and that, that means people from all walks of life and all parts of the country. Very well said. That's very good advice. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. If I may also add, you know, uh, I've known Dr. Winslow for a long time um, and I sort of alluded to it. He was an attending when I was uh, in training and he was always very well respected I, I didn't get a chance to work with you as much as i would have liked but i even even just being around you even being at conferences with you and in the small interactions we had i learned so much um we really respect uh everything you've done for our country so far both your military service and your academic service um we're just really lucky to have you so thank you so much for coming on it's a very heartfelt and very sincere thank you from me Thank you for the good work that you know you you and Elizabeth are both doing, both in your lives and your practice, and uh, with programs like this. So thank you. 
All right. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Everything I say I thought was gold. Okay. Peace out, homie. Okay. Bye. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All anecdotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.